Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. So you want to hunt turkeys in Nebraska? Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm going to be host today on Arch Talk 101. And with us, we have a turkey hunter that has just completed a hunt like that. Welcome to the show, Harlan. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Roy. So uh, before we get started in, in, in your turkey hunt, because I want to hear about that, uh, why and how did you get started in archery? You know, my dad, he was a bow hunter when I was growing up, maybe not quite as hardcore as I am, but he always took the opportunity to get me out in the field with him. Ever since I was probably four or five years old, I would tag along with him. And uh, it was just, I mean, we did all kinds of hunting. I mean, shotgun, rifle and all that. But bow hunting was, it is my true love now for sure. But even back then, that's what really sparked my interest most in hunting was when I got to go along on those trips, just, uh, you know, it added a lot more of a challenge and it just, you know, I I kind of fed into it. And by the time I was 13, 14, then I started uh, getting a lot more active in it. But my dad's actually for sure the one who got me started. Yeah, that, that's kind of a, a common thing, you know, you know, that the kids will, you know, pick it up because their parents are doing it. And then every once we get some, it's like parents had nothing to do with hunting and took it up on themselves. And 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 it's all all just, uh, you know, everybody's got a different story. And I like listening to them. They're they're, they're a lot of fun to listen to them, how everybody got started. Yeah, for sure. I was I was pretty lucky because he, you know, did it did it a lot and made sure he always got me involved. That that's always nice when when you can spend some time like that. So when you after you started, you know, what was kind of your journey like to, to lead you up to where you're at now? You know, when I uh, first started. Like I said, I was probably about 14, 15 back then. That's how old you had to be to legally hunt deer in Nebraska. And uh, me and one of my uh, good buddies in, in school, we got started about the same time. So we went out and educated a lot of animals and, and uh, didn't do a lot of killing, but we had fun trying. And so we did, you know, we progressed with our skills as far as shooting and that and, and learned a lot in the field. and. And, you know, a year or two later, um, we started having a little success. We each harvested a, a buck. And uh, and then from there, that really sparked the fire. And, you know, now I've I've hunted in eight or nine states and also in Ontario and hunted a lot of different types of animals and, and that. And like I said, archery is one of those things with bow hunting that is my true passion. It's one of those things that really drives me. So, but I started out with a friend and now I have connections all over the world, basically. Yeah, that's one thing that this sport is all over the world. And uh, I don't think you can find a country that doesn't have some kind of archery. It may not be much, but they have them. Uh, um, I know I've talked to people in all over the world and, and you know, it's kind of all the, all the same. It's a little different rules sometimes, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So, so do you mostly hunt or do you do target or anything else as well? Or I, uh, I do a ton of hunting. I'm a pretty much, I'm a 12 month. I mean, I'm either bow fishing or hunting something every month of the year. 
And, uh, but I, I enjoy, I shoot several 3D shoots during the summer. Um, try to make the last couple of years, try to make it go up to Terry Peak to attack event. And uh, then I'm also, I'm currently the chairman of the Nebraska Bow Hunters Association. And I've been the range master for our annual uh, jamboree at Halsey for the last seven, eight years. And so I always go up there for a week of that, set up all the ranges. And so I, I like every aspect of the sport. Yeah, you'll have to make sure you give me the contact information so we can let everybody know if, if they want to attend, you know, what they can do to attend. And I'll put it in the description and, and we'll also post it onto the Archstock 101 Facebook page. You know, Absolutely. There, we, we use it for, uh, you know, finding events that you can find it there. We don't advertise in there for products. So uh, we can allow links to uh, um, events and, you know, we can get more people out to it that may not know it's it's even there. That's exactly right. And it's it's amazing when we get new members or new people that come out to these events, they're like, man, I can't believe we've missed out on this this long, you know. And so the more we can get word out there and just like this, this is a great avenue for us to uh, get that exposure. So um, it's a great family event and uh, unlimited amount of shooting and and that. So it's, you know, it's always great to get new people involved. So what all do you do at, at those events? Um, like at that, it's basically, it's a four-day event, but there's a, I would say 50, 60 of us the last several years have made it a week-long deal to where we get there and get targets set up. But that we have four ranges set up and that's unlimited shooting from sunup to sundown. And you can keep score or not. We don't have any of, you know, as far as the 3D, we don't have, um, that's not like a scoring event, but we always have some friendly contest and that. And then yeah. there's also um, some novelty shoots. There's like a balloon shoot to where you have partners on a time shoot. There's a, a distance shoot. There's one to where you shoot at like 90 yards at a buffalo, the white buffalo. And so there's, and then there's just a lot for little kids. We have, you know, we have several things for them. So there's different people step up each year to, do some workshops with the kids, whether they're making something or I know one year they made turkey calls. And they, I mean, so there's a lot of different things. And we and then there's the river right there where kids can go tubing and that. So a lot of things for a family to do. So that's that's one thing we take pride in, that it is a family event. And uh, it's great to see more and more kids, you know, all the way clear down three, four, five years old showing up each year. So. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, how would they get a hold of you? I would say the best way is they can go to our website, uh, Nebraska Bow Hunters um, and Association, or they can get on our Facebook page and there's all the contact informations and it has information concerning. We have two main um, events and that is the Jamboree, which occurs the first week of August. And then we also have our banquet um, at Kearney. Uh, the first weekend in March every year. So, um, but all that's on there. It's it's like $25 a year for a family membership. So it's cheap and you get a yeah. newsletter every couple months with that. And yeah, just a lot of good things. And I mean, the Nebraska Bow Hunters is active and, you know, 
working through things as far as legislation that affects bow hunting in our state. And so they do have a good voice there and just a lot of, a lot of great things that our organization offers. Yeah. And while you was talking, I, I brought up the, your uh, website and the listeners won't be able to see it, but I can share my screen for those that get to watch it. And uh, this is what your website um, looks like. So if you want to contact anybody, you can you can sign up and there's there's all kinds of stuff here for you. Kind of scroll down here. A lot of good information. So that's I hope this is the right site. That's it. That's it. <laughs> You're right like there. It. So yep. you know, here's some contact information right over here on NebraskaBullHunters.com is is the uh, website. So those that want to uh, go out and that's one nice thing about recording this on a Zoom call is you know, the group gets to see it right away. And if you watch it on my YouTube channel, you get to see the video. Otherwise, you know, on, on Spotify and a couple other places, it comes out of just as an audio. So uh, that's that's a good place to get a hold of you. And you have a Gmail account too, NebraskaBowHunters at gmail.com. So there's a lot of ways to get a hold of you. And I'll leave those links in, in the description so that if they want to get a hold of you. And... Yeah, we appreciate that. So I think people would really enjoy it. So I know you just got through with a turkey hunt uh, that was in Nebraska, I'm assuming, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I had a friend from Colorado that came out opening weekend, and then another buddy from over at North Platte came up, and we had a great opening weekend hunt. Uh, my friend from Colorado filled both his tags with nice toms, and and uh, and then I shot one, and then my other buddy got one. So we... we uh, had a great opening weekend and so I'd still had one tag and my birthday was a couple of days ago and I uh, had a little bit of time after work and located some birds and I knew it was either going to happen quick or it wasn't going to and I uh, saw a couple nice toms with about a half dozen hens and got circled around they were working up a little crick and got set up on a ledge and the hens came right into the decoys and tore into my hen decoy and then they went by me and Tom stood out there and strutted at about 40 yards and finally he headed my way and when he got about 15 yards I don't think he he seemed to not he liked the decoys but when he stepped around the corner I think I had my bigger window open on my blind and I don't think he liked that too much and he came out of strut and started to turn to walk away but he was within 15 yards at that point made a perfect shot he made it five yards and tipped over so that ended my season in Nebraska but actually we uh I know our numbers have dropped but we still we still found some some nice flocks and I would say that as far as numbers our jakes I've saw I saw more jakes this year than I've seen probably the last five years so that's a good sign for us here we did have yeah. a pretty good hatch so so if we could get another two or three of those uh, going in a row, maybe numbers will start bouncing back. Yeah, that'd be good. Now, whereabouts in Nebraska were you? I was uh, over here on the Niagara River, north of Ainsworth. So we, oh, okay. I was, yep. So we, uh, we have some, I have 160 acres in a cabin over there just off the river. So spend a lot of time over there. So. Yeah, it sounds like nice to get a cabin on a river. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, 
that's a pretty much all year round place to go. It is. We spend, well, if you ask my wife, she'll say I spend a little too much time there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> take her take her along with you, then she can't complain, right? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Does anybody else in your family hunt? Or oh, yeah. Um, I have two children. Um, my daughter, Maddie, she's 20 years old. And then I have a son, Zach, who's 26. And when you talk about bow hunting, I didn't know if anybody could be any more passionate about it but my son is like over the top so much so that uh when he uh got he's a physical therapist and the first thing he did when he graduated was apply for a job in alaska so he's living in palmer alaska and that is strictly for bow hunting so oh. uh, <laughs> that's the only reason he went there he went on a caribou hunt and he came back from that and he said if i could live anywhere it'd be in palmer nebraska or palmer alaska and, and uh before he'd even passed his boards, he applied for a job up there and they interviewed him and offered them a job. And the week or two after he graduated, he was on his way to Alaska. So he will be a resident the end of May. So he's getting fired up for a brown bear this spring. So, oh, uh, yeah. But he got a he got to do a Kodiak blacktail hunt, shot a nice buck and had a couple of friends from Nebraska join him and they all shot bucks with their bows. And so they had, a great adventure and he killed a black bear and got to sit in a stand and watch his buddy kill a brown bear last spring so short time he's been there he's already had some some great times but no he uh he's a very successful bow hunter as well and and my daughter is too i mean she's killed probably close to 15 bucks and a couple pope and youngs and and a, a bunch of turkeys and also enjoys the bow fishing thing. She she does that a lot with me in the summer. So, um, you know, she surprises her professors in college because she, you know, looks like the cheerleader type. But it's like when they find out all the stuff she's done with the bow, they're always shocked. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it's amazing when you everybody thinks one thing and then you, you prove them completely wrong and and you know, that's, you know, the, the ladies, you know, have kind of an advantage there because, you know, they can make everybody think that they're, they're, they're just nothing. And then, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, this, this person has a little more skills than, yeah. than what letting on. And yeah, that, that's kind of almost fun way to do it. Sometimes it's, you know, you, you don't really let everybody know what skills you have until, you know, until you need to use them. And then it's like, oh, you know, more than what you, you're, you're, you're letting on, you know, that's right. I, I did that at one job I was on. It's like, I basically just played like I didn't know what was going on until uh, I got in with one that was doing stuff overnight. And it's like, you know, more than what you're learning. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I used to do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but right. that's not my job. It's something else. And, you know, that's yeah. nice saying in Archie too, when you get, you know, you, you don't really know who has what skills and, you know, don't, don't assume. And, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun because, you know, you don't have to be a big, strong person to shoot a bow and shoot it well that's exactly right it's like but i was very lucky my kids started hunting at a very young age they both had shot their first deer at the age of 10 and and had both shot turkeys well before that with their bows so um spent a lot of time in the field together those are some great memories and great times that i'll never forget so yeah, that, that's always nice when you you get a chance to take your kids out hunting with you. 
that's for sure. Some of my fondest memories of the sport. So, yeah, and and that's really you know what counts is you know getting those memories with them. You know, going doing stuff with them is is a lot of fun. And then as you get older, it's like yeah, it's a little harder to keep those you know, new memories coming because everybody gets their own life. And that's right. But it's I've been I've been lucky that we've you know been able to make the memories we've had um my son um geez we we've been all over doing a lot of things he drew the uh super tag what was it four years ago for the nebraska super tag and he filled all of he killed his elk the two he killed uh his deer his antelope and his two turkeys all in that tag was good for two years and he filled them all with his bow the first year. So he is the only, oh. only one that was ever to achieve that so far on a Nebraska super tag. So um, that, that's, so that's a lot. <laughs> it was. And I was right by his side when he killed his elk and his antelope on that and, uh, and got experience, you know, tracking his deer and all that too. So it was, we've made tons of memories. Well, and there's not that many elk here in Nebraska, so you have kind of a limited place you can even go hunt. And then that's you get right. the tag we, and get to find an owner that'll let you hunt. That's right. And he hunted south of North Platte, and uh, he contacted several landowners. He took it upon himself. He was actually in college, and we got a call that he had drew the super tag. And when my wife called and told me, I thought she was joking. And, of course, when I called him, he thought I was joking. And when he finally found out I was serious, he was about crying. So he, <laughs> yeah. uh, he contacted landowners and was in nailed down a couple spots. And we had some friends that helped us out tremendously and get some permission. And, and, uh, he killed a, a, a big six point with, it was uh second day of the season. So, and then I drew the I drew a Nebraska elk tag two years ago, and I hunted North Ainsworth here, like six miles on cornfield bulls. And after a month and a half of scouting, I hadn't found much, and my season lasted two minutes. We found a bull, and first two minutes of the first day, my buddy called him into ten yards, and and so <laughs> I I killed a good bull too. So we're uh, we've been fortunate on that. So. Yeah, when when you don't get that many chances, you, you almost have to take the first one that's legal to shoot, and and you know because if you pass on it, that may be your only shot. That's right. And I had scouted hard. My one buddy, we saw four bulls that morning, and they went into the corn, and we were waiting for legal shooting light. And finally, we were at that time, and I was like, "You better drop back and bugle." And so those were four raghorns and he called and they bugled and then a different bull bugled and stepped out and it was the herd bull. And it just, by luck, that was the one that came into 10 yards. And it's what I told him. It's lucky it was him instead of one of them raghorns because they'd got the same treatment. So yeah. <laughs> Whichever one presented the shot first, right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> but that, that was good when the, the big one come in and. Yep. It was a good, good bull. shot. So, yeah. So he didn't went about 25 yards and died right beside a old two track road. And the rancher came down there with his tractor and loaded him whole right in the back of my pickup. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was really good. 
yeah. So I had to rub it into my buddy out in Montana. We'd hunted out there the year before and we had to pack like seven and a half miles on one bowl. And I said, this is a lot better this way. So yeah. I know I had one I was I was hunting with a buddy of mine and uh um it was actually out of two rivers. Did you probably know where that's at? But mm -hmm. um my listeners probably don't know, but it's a public place and we was hunting and was back in there and he shot and it run out to five feet from the dump station. So there's a black <laughs> ass like just drive up and load it in. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's right there next, right there next to it. And you can't ask for, you know, better tracking than that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, like you, I've probably had a lot of them yet to drag a long ways. And, and yep. you know, they, they get to be a challenge. And this was nice about the deer carts now. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Didn't have such a thing when I started. <laughs> <laughs> no. Had to hump them out of there, so. Yep. Yeah, you just kind of grab an antler or a leg or something and pull it and you know yeah. you take a rope and tie it around his neck and pull it that way and uh you know just just something to help pull it and you know late yeah. season if you grab the antler you might have an antler in your hand that's exactly right and so you can't always depend on them, them being attached real well <laughs> now i know you've had a lot of memorable hunts but what is your most memorable hunt tell us about that one um, I probably, it's hard to narrow it down, but it would probably be, well, I, I got three of them that I haven't narrowed down to. One is when my son took his bull elk and I was there with him and bugled it in and, and, uh, he made the shot. I mean, that was an emotional time and, and something I'll never forget. And then I would also say one time I was sitting with my daughter and she shot a big seven by five white tail. And uh, after she shot, she just broke down crying, which made me cry. And it's like, that was, that was something. And then I did an Alaska caribou hunt with a couple buddies and uh, we flew in and uh, into the Charlie river and we were set up where they flew us into. And it looked like more like sheep country in fact we did have doll sheep right above us and i'm like this was like thick trees i had never seen a video of a caribou hunt ever take place in, in such a thing and he promised there'd be caribou headed our way and uh he was he was right because in the first two days we filled out one with our bows and uh you know those uh 10 days that we spent back in that camp were probably some of the most memorable i ever made as far as bow hunting so, but I got, so I, I'm planning on going on a brown bear hunt with my son up there now. So I got a lot more great memories to come. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that'd be interesting. Listen, listen to your story about your, your bear hunt with your son. That would, that would be a cool story to listen to. Maybe yes. we'll have to have you back on after you go. Yes, there you on. go. After that, hopefully I yeah, have yeah. A, a successful story to tell, but. But no, you know, when it comes to bow hunting, it's like I said, I'm a year-round guy, and they always say, what's your favorite hunt? It's been said by others, you know, it's my next one, so is my favorite. So that, you know, that's kind of how I go. It's like, it depends on the season what my favorite is, and I got, you know, bow fishing coming up for big heads now that I've filled my turkey tags, and I love to spend time on the Missouri River. It's one of my favorite things is bow fishing for big heads and uh and a great way to fill your freezer with some good meat too so um so i already have a 
couple big trips of that planned out here coming up in May. So you're going to go on the Missouri River. Then, so we're going to go for those. Yep, we go down below Yankton at Gavin's Point. We fish probably a 25, 30 mile stretch and and uh, spend a lot of time up there. So uh, we've got it down pretty well as far as getting them clean boneless. And uh, like I said, there's days on the river we can almost fill a whole cooler full of some of the best eating fish you'll ever have. And when I first heard that, I was skeptical as anybody when I heard that a big head carp was good eating. But let me tell you, it is unbelievable. It's way different than our common carp. They're a plankton eater, pure white meat. They do have the bone structure of a carp. So it's it's it takes little to learn how to get them clean boneless. But we've got a method that's worked out. And we've taught a lot of different people how to do it. And uh, because going up there and shooting them, it's well worth taking the time to utilize it. So I put on a ton of fish fries because it's like we can come home from a trip with 75, 80 pounds of meat. So it's, it's uh, I like to try to share it and spread the word. Yeah, believe it, don't, don't think the carp is actually very good. And I've had some just the regular grass carp you have around here yeah. and throw them on a smoker. And it was amazing. It's like, almost tastes like ham. Right. You know, depending yeah. on what would you use it to smoke with, you know, don't use the hickory, you know, right. you, you use it in apple or something like that and yeah. or peach. And, and it was, I was amazed how good it was. You, yeah. You, and if you, you tried these fish heads, this big head's like similar to kind of like a halibut texture and it's pure white. You can grill it, you can fry it. It's, it's very versatile and about as mild. My wife's not a big fish eater, but she loves to eat it. So um we it's it's great to be able to utilize it yeah that, that's something that people just just don't realize it's it's how you cook it you know like when i first started eating venison uh you know the, the deer is if it's not fixed right you know that fat you as you know you got to get rid of the fat on a deer no fat yep you want it completely gone and you know not knowing how to fix it you know the first time we got a deer uh it lasted us a whole year Yep. Well, then it got where my freezer was full. I had moose in there and that freezer was full of uh, 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 deer and got another one. And it's like, what am I going to do? So I made jerky out of the whole thing. Uh, yep. It was within two or three weeks, the whole deer was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, my, my kids kind of, uh, it's like, well, uh, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Yeah. You know, didn't know if it was ready yet or not, you know? No. Growing up, I know my dad, they used to cook deer and it would they would cook it so well done that it was like it wasn't the best heating. And then once I learned what to, you know, tried all the different recipes and learn how to cook it. And now we go through a ton of venison. I mean, we'll between me and my kids, we usually will have five, six deer and maybe an elk, maybe a caribou, maybe some black bear. And it's like I'm. I'm almost out of deer already. Like you say, I made a bunch of jerky, then we made a bunch of salami and different brats and we do it all ourselves. And then we eat a ton of deer steak. My son basically eats it every meal. I mean, that night he has a, a salad, a potato and a deer steak. So we go through a ton of it. So yeah, I think it's our biggest responsibility as hunters though, is to utilize what we hunt. I mean, that that's the biggest, the 
that's the biggest way to respect the game that we pursue is to utilize everything. Yeah, you know, the you know, the two top cuts, you know, between the loins and the back straps, you know, those are really good. But you know, the the back leg has some really good roasts in it and and steaks you want to do that. And the front legs, there's not as much on there, but they're still good meat. And you know, and if it's not big enough for a steak or something, you know what? That's where we get our ground from. That's exactly right. You can utilize all of it. I the last few years I've started corning some of those big back hams and having corn venison. And uh I have a big get together every spring and make Rubens out of it. And some of my buddies are like, those are the best Rubens I've ever had. Is that deer corn deer? So oh yeah. I I've never heard anybody doing that. What what do you do when you do that? How you do I that? got on, I actually got on the internet and there's a recipe. By Hank, if you just want, if you just look up Hank Shaw um, corn venison and use that recipe, it's a brine, and you put it in there for like nine or ten days and brine it, and it's just like a corned beef, only it's deer. And then I usually just stick it in the crock pot on low for eight nine hours, and it's it tastes just like corned beef, only it's a little more lean. Yeah, because there's no no fat in in, yeah. in deer when you have you know, because that fat terrible. Well, just like you say, I trim all the fat, make sure there's not anything on it. So, but it's, it's delicious that way. So, and a good way to use some of them big roasts. So, oh yeah. Well, I, I know that I can tell the difference, you know, when you go to one of the packing plants where they process the deer for you, and, which I don't do that very often because I don't like the results when I get back, you know, the ground you take, when you're cooking the ground, you know, making a hamburger or something out of the ground, and then you take the stuff that I process or like you process, all the fat's gone, pull the membrane off, and grind it all up. The difference in the smell and taste are, are completely not even the same. You know, yeah. you don't like the way the the butcher's ground smells when you're cooking it because they don't trim all the fat off. They'll stick it in there and grind it. You know, they don't care. Um, you know, that that's why we process it ourselves and. I've been doing that for, you know, uh, a few decades. Yeah, I, I do all my own. In fact, there's usually about half a dozen of us get together and, and uh, we'll spend a whole day making stuff. And and not only that, it's just an enjoyable time, the, the camaraderie and all that. So, Well, and, and you know how the meat was cared for, too. And you know it's your deer. Uh, that's exactly know, not, right not like going to the butcher they, they say a lot of them say you get your own meat back but yeah I, I i don't believe that all the time <laughs> yeah there's some that i think do but a, a lot of times you're right i don't think that's probably possible for them and uh but i enjoy that but i enjoy that as much as some of the hunts is to get together and take care of it it's satisfying well then, then you can cut the meat up and however you you and your family use it you know if you do a lot of roast then use the you know the back leg for roast if you don't really do much in roast more steaks you know use it for steaks um you know probably some of the best meat i've had is a moose when i got one out in canada got a moose and that was that was amazing meat yeah that moose is tough to beat yeah it's it, it you just you get so much of it too yeah. Yep, I haven't I haven't uh been lucky enough to shoot one of those yet, but everybody says it's overwhelming when you walk up on your first moose to get broke down. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, and I went up, I was going to do, I want to do archery, but the guy I was going with, he went up during rifle season. So I took rifle up and did that. But, you know, when, when you get up there and, and you have this moose, you get it was like great big old thing. And the ears, you put your foot next to the ears and it's the same size. Right. Yeah. You, you know, and then you've got all this, you know, the head and I got a cow and I went ahead and brought the head back. I actually had it mounted and sit at my son's house because I didn't have higher ceilings here. Uh, but the head and hide by itself weighed 131 pounds. Right. That's no meat or nothing. Amazing. That is yeah, just that's that. Just, yeah. And, you know, then you're you're cutting it all up, and I put it in the coolers, brought it home, and then you know I spent about a week, you know, pulling them out of the cooler, cutting them up, and how I was going to use them, and yeah, it was it it was it was a lot of fun. But you know what? That meat lasts a long time in a deep freeze. Yeah, it does. So. Well, with my son living up there in Alaska now, I certainly hope I get the opportunity to take a moose while he's there. So, yeah, that would be good. So, who knows? He may live there until he retires. He might. When he first went, he was talking three to five years, but his sister informed me that he's never coming back last week. So, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's a lot. He might be a lifer up there. Yeah, it might be. You know, as long as you can take the winners. He's, he he got right he got through that pretty good shape he's you know so um he uh like i said he's looking forward to the bear hunting and that so then he'll roll right into everything else i think he's got a mountain goat hunt planned and black tails and bears and, and uh and caribou so he's got a lot on his plate yeah well he he works so that he can go hunt that's right. Yep. Yeah. So the only thing to be different is working was hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's sometimes the I'm step. starting to think that's what he does mostly is hunt and work part time. So. Yeah. Well, if you can get by with it, why not? Right. Yes. So what what is your next hunt you have planned out? Um. I I hope to get my daughter out probably on a, a turkey hunt here before the end of the season. But then um then I'm gonna be doing a ton of bow fishing in uh, in May and June. Um I got I'm lined up to take a few people. I didn't draw a paddlefish tag this year, I did last year. So I'm gonna take some buddies archery paddlefish in June, and then we'll be hunting big heads May and June. And then um, July, I'm going up to see my son and I don't have a hunt planned. I'm just going to go up and uh, do some fishing and wife's going to go with me and we're going to make a little vacation out of it. And uh, this fall, then I'll probably just be Nebraska this year. Um, antelope, mule deer, whitetail. And uh, I don't know, I'm throwing around maybe uh going back to south dakota and doing a boat hunt up there we did that here three years ago and had a a great time and so we may uh do that again so if we can draw a tag so that's quite a few hunts coming up <laughs> yeah like i said i'm uh i'm a year-round hunter when it comes to bow hunting and it's like there's not really one month that goes by that i'm not hunting something with my bow we i have a friend you know come uh december january we do an annual uh, bunny hunt and we just had our 25th year we call it the bunny blunders invite 
we just had our 25th year this year and I think we had 49 hunters. So, um, it it started with five of us and it's built that. So, uh, we make a three day event out of it and just have a great time doing it. So, um, you know, that, like I said, I'm usually when I get done with one hunt, I'm looking at what I'm going to do for my next. So, but I tell you what, we're lucky here in Nebraska with the opportunities we have because I can drive five to 10 miles one direction, be hunting mule deer and antelope, and I can drive outside city limits and be hunting whitetails or turkeys. So a lot of opportunities here close. I think that is one thing that my son does miss out on, even in Alaska, um, not having those opportunities where you can just step out your door and be hunting in five minutes. Yeah, that's for, for me to go out, you know, for mule deer, it's a little bit of a drive. You know, I'm over here on the east end of Nebraska. And... Yep, we're lucky right where we're at here. We got a little a little taste of everything, so. Yeah, it's uh, kind of nice, you know, when here, because there's not too far away that we can get, get the stuff. And, you know, it makes it kind of nice where, you know, I don't have a long ways to go. You know, if I want to go, you know, like out to Halsey or something, it's not that big of a drive, you know, where it's it, it's not so unreasonable that you can't, uh, you know, get there. Because, you know, from here to Colorado is like, what, eight hour drive, nine hour drive. And, right. you know, you're, you're I'm within probably four hours of any place in Nebraska I wanted to go hunt. Right. So that's not too bad of a drive, you know. Yep. And having statewide tags where you can go and and hunt and not have to worry about drawing a tag. I mean, it's getting tougher to draw these non-resident tags in every state. And so, you know, just because you plan a hunt for one year don't necessarily mean it's going to pan out if you don't draw that tag. So right. And that's like the archery, a lot of those archery tags are just over the counter. So uh, yep. you know, you can get those anytime and you don't have to worry about it going for, you know, it's like, okay, am I going to get a tag? Or now I got a tag and now I got to find work and I go hunt. Because I didn't line anything up, because I wouldn't, I didn't know if I was going to get one, and and there, or you line everything all up, all ready to go, and don't get a tag. That's right. So, but no, I, uh, I usually have some hunts planned. Like I said, I've hunted eight or nine states, and I've hunted, I mean, elk and bears and deer and all, every kind of thing. I mean, I've even went out to Maryland and did. Uh, some saltwater fishing for stingrays. And I have a buddy who lives out there. I've deer hunted out on Chesapeake Bay and hunted antelope in Wyoming and elk in Montana. And I mean, so I usually try to do an out-of-state hunt every couple of years anyway. So yep. makes it interesting. You get to see a different part of the country and different animals and it is. And the different people you meet. I mean, it's always unique, no matter where you go, the people that you deal with. So um, a lot of, a lot of different things out there that are offered. So. Well, and there's, there's always, you know, a friend somewhere, you know, if you have a bow in your hand and, and, you know, you see somebody with a bow in their hand, they're automatically your friend. You know, you go up and start a conversation like you'd never seen them before, but yeah, you can go up and carry a conversation like your old friends. That's exactly right. And even online, I've met some of my best friends on different online forums and stuff and yeah. uh, ended up doing some great out-of-state hunts. And I brought some of them out. Like I said, my buddy from Colorado 
that I had out turkey hunting. That's how I met him and my buddy. I went on multiple hunts out in Montana. That's how I met him. So, and they're some of my closest friends. So it's like you say, it's, it's one of those things that people have into common and there's a lot of great people in our sport. Well, and we have a long, a long, long, long history of uh, the sport. So, um, you know, I, I did a, one of my podcasts, I did the history of archery and come to find out it was like 64,000 years ago, they found evidence of, of archery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been around that long. It ain't going any, any, any soon, you know, any too soon. No. it's not going away. So that's for sure. So yeah, they, they had it figured out, didn't they? Yeah. Well, bows have changed. You know, when I first started in archery, uh, my options were uh, wood or fiberglass, longbow or recurve, and wood or wood arrows. Yeah, flesh with feathers. <laughs> yes, that was your yep. option. You know, yeah. in the sixties, there there was no compound bows yet. It was until seventies when a compound right. came out. And, yeah, and 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 then you know you had yeah aluminum arrows. You know, then then you had your opposite of aluminum with your your traditional bows, your recurves, longbows. You go aluminum, you know, they were a little bit more durable, but not really much, still with feathers. Right. And yeah. then you go to the compounds. And then um, I still I shoot carbons now with my compound, but I still shoot feathers. Yeah. I just I just like feathers and I just don't want to go away from them. <laughs> yeah. I you shoot know. veins, but I got a lot of friends still shoot feathers and yeah, they shoot and they kill as much stuff as anybody. So it's all well, a preference thing. When you look at it too, you know, there's a little difference. The The feathers are generally lighter than the veins. Yeah. So you have a little bit lighter arrow. So initially your speed's a little faster. But feathers provide more drag. So downrange, the veins keep their speed a little bit longer. Right. Yeah. And uh, I know PSE did a study one time on uh, how fast to spin the arrows. And, and they found in their study that the arrow goes along, and when the circular velocity exceeds the forwards of velocity, they like a parachute, they just drop. Right, the parachute effect they call it. Right, and, yeah. And the more the more you try and spin them, the faster that happens. Correct. So there's but a happy I'm, medium in there. You want spin, but you don't want too much. Yeah. Now the new carbon arrows are so skinny, you can't get much of a helical on there. They're more like offset i use a helical jig but it's yep. pretty much just slightly offset just enough to spin it yeah you know that just is the way it goes you know there's all kinds of things you can do and you know the older bows there was a lot we did to make them perform better you know like putting overdraws on them so now you draw back right. and the arrows clear back past your wrist you know almost yeah. like to where your watch would be on there uh, just oh. to try and get some speed out of it and, and now it's like you don't have room for an overdraw because some of those brace heights are so short that you're, you're lucky you're not smacking the back of the rest when it's sitting on there anyway. That's right. And as fast as these new bows are, it's like no need for them. I remember the days of overdrawing some of the horror pictures from some of the disasters with them. But oh yeah, I remember when the overdraws were coming on and it was a fad, but kind of run its course. Yeah. And, and the, they're not as safe too, because if the arrow falls off the rest, because it used to be just a two prong rest and you'd set them on there. 
and you know or the little flipper styles you know depending on which style of riser you had but if that arrow come off and was sitting up against your hand and you didn't realize it and pulled the trigger you're just shooting your arrow through your hand and yeah i actually see a guy on his hand between on his left hand because he you know holds both the left hand yeah in between his index finger and his thumb there was a three-sided uh, scar uh. it it fell off the rest he didn't realize it until he pulled the trigger and sent the arrow through his hand. Uh, you know, that's why when, when I sized arrows, when I have my store, I sized an arrow. I sized it so that it was in front of your hand. So if it fell off, you know, it might smack your hand, but you're not going to stick that point in there because it's not there. And I'd say, yeah. you know, why you do this? Like, draw back and imagine it falls off and sitting on your hand. Now, what do you do? Because it's sharp enough. It's stuck onto your hand. You can't get it flipped off because it's stuck onto your hand you can't draw back any further because you're already back all the way now what do you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you know it's like you can't let down right you go through your hand you're stuck <laughs> hopefully that's someone's right. around so i says that's yeah. why i make them in front of your hand so you don't have to worry about it because it's in front of your hand just let down <laughs> it's a good practice for sure yeah so kind of some of the things you learn when you're setting up bows you know you think about okay safety and you know, when you draw back, you know, make sure that everything's got a good clearance and. Yeah. Yeah, that's for. You know, it's, you know, back in those days, like I said, some of those pictures where you saw guys with broadheads stuck through the went through their hand, not a pretty picture. So no, or or your aluminum arrows breaking. Yeah, you know, that. Yeah. And and that's why you need to check your arrows all the time. You know, if they get bent, you know, not only if you're like in a 3D tournament or shooting at a, in an animal, you're going to miss by quite a bit, you know, depending on how far you're away. I had a bent, arrows bent slightly and, and I'm I'm throwing what should be 10s on the 3D animals down to fives and eights. And like, why is this one always off? So they started spinning. I was like, sure enough, that one, yep. that one's bent. So put it in the spot on my quiver. I'm not going to use it. And it doesn't go to the take next it. ones and yeah now at the carbons if you if you shoot thousands of arrows you might have a problem with them but generally a carbon arrow is broke or straight that's right you know those days of trying to straighten the aluminum stuff like you say it was it was it didn't take much to bend them now it's like usually if you do what would have been a bend an aluminum it's going to probably either break your carbon or it's going to remain straight so yeah, you, you can't. I, I've actually got two jigs for straightening aluminum arrows. I never was able to get one to straighten that was better than it was when it was bent. No. Yeah. It, it would spun and it said it was straight. It just it just wouldn't fly like it was any better. So yeah. I just I didn't bother with them. I had one of those two and that you could mess with an arrow forever, it seemed like it. And uh, sometimes I had them looking more like an S when I was done than before. So. <laughs> well, and then when when you think about it, you know, how would if you took a piece of aluminum, a little aluminum bar that wasn't, you know, super thick where you could bend it, how would you break it without using tools? Keep flexing it, right? So you're yes. bending it, one of bending back, bending back. If you've ever yep. seen, I don't know if you've listeners, anybody watching, is has ever seen a slow motion of an arrow being shot out of a boat? And that thing is just flexes back and forth. It looks like a yeah. snake. Looks like a snake going through the air for a little while. And, yep, and that's to do with aluminum. When you shoot, it flexes 
because you've got that weight in the front, which there's more weight in the front base, you know, base versus the back. So now it has, it moves the knock and the point does not move. So now you're bending it. And then all of a sudden the, the point starts moving and then it just keeps oscillating for a while and straightens out. And, and you know, that's why you can't shoot wood arrows out of a compound. You know, just the force it develops so quick, it'll just snap them. Yeah. And I actually, one of the forms one time, some guy actually said, yeah, you can. <laughs> not while I'm standing around, you're not gonna, <laughs> you're shooting a wooden arrow. Now, if you take one of the real original ones that was so slow and not really developing, the, the round-wheeled ones, you possibly right. could on those. But yeah. you take any any modern bow that has any kind of a let-off or a little camming action, uh, you know, even the white-tailed twos, I wouldn't shoot them out of there because, you know, those were an offset a little bit. So it it wasn't like a big radical cam, but it did develop a little more force when it had let-off. So you yeah. have that let-off, and all of a sudden it snaps it in a higher weight. Yeah, how does how does martial arts just break break forwards with our hands? <laughs> Instant snap going through it. And that's yep. what a compound does to the arrow. And, right. and that's why it's so important to have correct spine. It is for sure. You're better off to have overspined than underspined arrows. Yep. I know I had one of the compounds I had. I was shooting 2512s, uh, the double X78, so they're one and a half thousand straightness. So straight as you get aluminum, you get right. carbons now, which is one thousands. And you know, that you look on the spine charts, it was way over spine. But you know what? It shot perfectly out of that bow. You know, you you, you know, back then it was shooting through paper and and you know, it perfect tear every time you shot it. Right. Uh, you know, paper tears now, it really doesn't tell you a lot because you can take a perfectly tuned bow and make a bad tear. Just by gripping it wrong. Just a little hand torque's all it takes. You know, yeah. get that death grip on there, you're never going to get a good tear. No. You know, and that's what a lot of people struggle with. They think it's the bow, and it's a lot of times it's just hand torque, you know, because right. it doesn't take much with these new bows. It's like a little, a little firm grip, or you know, it can it can throw that off. Well, and and two, you know, the the faster the bow the more it magnifies your mistakes. You know, a slow bow is pretty forgiving. You know, even the old ones, they're, they're fairly forgiving. You know, right. you, you could have a death grip on them. You could have a loose grip on them. They really didn't shoot much different. But now you take these new ones, and if your form's not perfect, it's going to show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so many people just don't know a better way to shoot. I didn't want to say they're shooting wrong. You know, but yeah, you're shooting wrong. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I a lot of times I, I'll, I'll talk to somebody that's in Archer for a while, and it's like, you know, say you use a wrist strap. Yeah, I can give you first lesson for free. Quit pulling the trigger. Like, huh? Yeah, you're pulling the trigger, aren't you? Yeah. Well, hey, stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> How do I know? Because most people that haven't been taught proper way to use a release, right? And then you even get the people that have their finger way up by their eye. And get ready to shoot, and then, and then they just comes out it. and just slams that trigger. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't have to tell me. I went through a uh, stage of target panic, and that's when I was just shooting instinctively a compound and uh, just shot bare bow. And 
And then all of a sudden, I was like, when people used to talk about target panic, I'm like, how can you get target panic? All you do is see something and shoot. And then I got it. And then I went to sites and a release. And I was one of those old creep up on it and slam away. And it's like, uh, but I still you don't shoot do that anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I'd like to say never, but there's times where <laughs> all of a sudden a panic or something, but no, um, but I do a lot more shooting now too. So, but that target panic is, it's not an easy thing to always get over, but it's still uh, it's sometimes a work in progress with me. Yeah. Well, and two, by pulling the trigger that leads you to have target panic, not That's saying true. that you can eliminate it by shooting a better technique, but yeah, you can eliminate by shooting a better technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, what, what happens, you know, when you think about what is going on in your mind, in your eyes, in your hand, in your body, if you're pulling the trigger, uh, you see the pin move over the target. Now, if you're looking at the target, not the pin, if you're looking at the pin, you, you never miss your target you're focused on the pin not your target so who cares where he hits because you right. don't care about it you're not yeah. focused on it. so you focus on the target you see the pin move across your target and your eyes see that your mind says pull the trigger i'm on the target guess yeah. what you're moving off the target and then your mind says oh stop don't don't, don't shoot you've already started that pull Whoop. there's your target panic and, and now the next thing you know you keep doing it again deal and now it gets worse it Word does get take, worse it's move that move that trigger back to the second to the joint tip. and just and pull and pull through it yeah now firearm i'm going to teach you to do off the tip of your finger right yeah i shot on a rifle team through high school so you know i got pretty yeah. good at that stuff but you want your finger the trigger the second joint like you said yeah. on the trigger now you put your you focus on the target you put your pin over it you start pulling and just focus on your target plus the target Yep. And, and if you don't know when it's going to go off, you can't have target panic. Yeah. As soon as you start using that fine motor skill. Why not? What, you know, I can tell people, it's like, okay, focus on the spot. Real small one, like a head of a pin. It's like, if you focus on that and you lose focus, it's going to blow up and you're going to be with it. So you do not break focus on that spot. And now make your finger move without thinking about it. They can't do it. Yeah. Because what when you... Think about moving the finger. What'd you stop doing? You stopped aiming. Because you stopped aiming, where's the arrow going to go? Don't know, because you're not aiming anymore. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so that's a little bit of my, my lesson on, on you know, how to correctly use a, a wrist strap. <laughs> it is. I And I have shot a wrist strap for a long time. And then when I'd get a little punchy with it, I'd, I would go to a hinge and the, or maybe even a back tension release just to start going through those mechanics and making yourself right. aim and work through it. And then you go back to that. And then it was easier, like, just like you say, put it on that second, just use the same form as you would like with the hand. So, Well, and I have um, uh, a Scott release with my wrist strap. And as a part two, as you see, a lot of people will put it, you know, you've got your, your, your wrist right here name up on your hand, the straps on the hand and pulling. Now, if it's back past your wrist where you'd put your watch and you pull, that's completely different. So I always think, okay, put your hands over your hand and now pull them apart. What do you feel? You feel your wrist separating. 
And now put it up on here, lock it in. Now you got a lot more force going through it and you're not messing with your hand. Here, you can't move your hand. Back here on the wrist, you can move your hand. That is what a wrist strap, it's not a hand strap. Right. So good. go through a lot of that in there. Good it's like, tip. And you have more force in pulling it back because you're not trying to separate here. As well as too, when you do that, take on your hand and pull. You feel it in the elbow. Take move up on your wrist and pull. You don't feel it in the elbow. I've had my right elbow so sore when I was doing martial arts, you know, smack it on the ground when you're doing falls and stuff, where I, I couldn't hardly move it, but yet I could draw my bow with my right hand because I had that wrist strap on there. I'm not using the elbow to pull. The strength right. isn't in the elbow, it's in the back. And right. it's just, it, I like teaching. <laughs> well, that's you know? good. Some some great tips there. So, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've taught a lot of people how to shoot, you know, from uh, when I had my story, one guy come in, uh, he, he had a PhD, you know, wasn't like a medical doctor, but he had a PhD in whatever it was it was, it was in. And normally I would go back then the Nova bow was the, the low end beginner bow. And I set it up with arrows and release. You had to do nothing except buy a case. Everything was included. And he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to buy He wanted a higher end bow. So, you know, he's instead of shelling out 350 bucks, he's shelling out, you know, like eight, nine hundred dollars. Of course, you got to remember this is 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Now that same bow is probably more than that just for the bow without the accessories. <laughs> and uh, and then with all my bows, I taught you how to shoot. You know, I've been an, an arch instructor since 95. So I taught you how to shoot. That it concluded with all my bows. That's why I can get people to return their bows from Walmart and those places because they save 50 bucks. Because start right. with, I'm going to charge you $40 at that time. It's $40 to set it up. And I'm going to charge you $100 an hour for instruction. Right. Yeah, that was my rate, $100 an hour for yep. our instructor. Now, yep. generally, you got maybe about 20 minutes, you know, because I'm going to teach you something you can practice. So I'm not going to stand there for an hour. Um, right. You know, but if I did, 100 bucks. You know, now it's going to be higher than that. But um, yeah. yeah, and this guy, two weeks after he bought a bow, first time shooting his bow, never had a bow before, wanted to get an archery. Two weeks later, he has a Robin Hood already. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 And that's what I like to It's like, because I get to sell two more arrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I had a different philosophy on selling arrows too when I have my store because, you know, some of them would only sell in groups of half, you know, six or three or something. I'd sell you one. If you wanted one arrow, I'd sell you one arrow because I charged you, uh, I think it's an extra dollar, you know, take the 12 arrows, say there's, you know, 12 bucks. You know, 12 arrows, whatever it was, uh, probably three bucks an arrow. If you want to buy one, it's not just one twelfth of, of the price. It's one twelfth plus a dollar. Right. So if so. you wanted to buy one, I made 12 extra bucks on that dozen if you buy them one at a time. <laughs> and I didn't care. You know, you'd break them up if somebody wanted three arrows. Like, okay, make up three arrows. And I never had any pre-made arrows. I only bought shafts. Fetched them all so, up and did them all yourself. So do, do you want you want your comp pros 1000s? Do you want your 3000s? Do you want your 6000s? You know, what do you want for the grade of arrow? And then, you know, when you go to the box stores, what are they? They're orange and yellow or a green and yellow. You got about three different basic colors. Well, no, because I had all kinds of different colors. 
do you want three inch? Do you want four inch veins? Do you want four or five inch feathers? And, you know, because I did a lot of traditional archery as well out there. So I had the five inch feathers just for them. Right. Most of us use four inch on, on the other bows. And, and now what's your favorite colors? You know, pick two of your favorite colors. You want two of this one or one of this one? You know, and then what color knock do you want? You know, back in aluminums, you glued on different color knocks. Now at the carbons, you pretty much, you got about one choice. You know, sometimes you had two choices, but generally they come with a knock. Uh, with aluminums just come raw shafts. Right. So what do you want to do? Yeah. Um, you know, it's custom to you. You know, if you're if you're chartreuse and yellow, that's the colors you want. If you want orange and, and red, go for it. Purple yeah. and pink. Yeah. You know, if you want the best color to see in the forest and your arrows is pink. Yeah. Nothing in the forest is pink. That's right. You, you got you got your browns and your greens. You got your leaves, which are your oranges and and everything else, but nothing is pink. So a lot of <laughs> I some of the guys that come in, it's like they want pink because yeah, they can see their arrows. My, my good buddy, that's all he shoots is pink. So yeah, so you can find it. <laughs> yeah. And and then they have the wraps you can put on them too. And I had some fluorescent wraps, you know, reflective, like uh, you'd put on the street stuff, that, that type of reflective. Reflectivity, and yeah. um, that's a hard word to say. <laughs> like you've been talking for for a while, <laughs> but um, yeah, one of those LED lights just were great at finding those. I had yeah, one arrow that was buried at... under an evergreen tree. I'm sure I'm like, oh, there it is, and I was probably 15, 20 feet away from it. Picked it up, there it is. Went over and grabbed it. Yeah, yeah. My hunting arrows have those wraps on them just for that reason. Well, that is, that's a smart thing. And it saves a guy some money. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I have enough shafts now. I, I'll never go through them all. But, um, you know, if I was having to buy shafts, oh, man, that would, that would, that would hurt. You know, yes. I, I don't know what a dozen arrows go for now. But when you start getting into the Comp Pro ones, they were, you know, fairly expensive then. Yeah. I mean, now just getting shafts on some of them, I mean, up in the 150 plus range i mean just for the shabs so yeah i remember when i was getting aluminums they were by about 70 bucks for a dozen of the double 78 25 12s and i'd buy a new set every year yeah i'd set them up get them get them fletched uh put my broadheads on them shoot them make sure they were all shooting the same and go hunt yeah. I, I only hunted with brand new shafts. Yeah. Because so. I figure I want the straightest shaft I can get because that makes my groups tighter, <laughs> which we've talked about several times on here that, you know, the straightness of your shaft is going to determine size of your group. You're not going to get those stacking arrows with the, uh, you know, lower grade arrows. You're just not going right. to stack them. They, no. they just won't. No. That's exactly right. I mean, sometimes it's worth the extra money, especially for longer range shooting. So, right. You know, if you take, uh, you know, your straight shafts, like your, your comp pros and you can put three arrows touching side by side. So that that's, you know, what maybe half inch diameter and you take a, a 3000. Now you open that up and you put your 5000 or 6000. Now you're lucky to keep them in, in the five ring. Forget about keeping them in the X-ray. And right. now then down the, you go out to uh, 50 yards. And how big is your group? Go out to 100 yards. 
you're not yeah. with with the lower ones you're not even on target no no makes a big difference yeah and then outdoors too you know start shooting those long range ones you know just like the rifle hunters do they have they have to worry about the wind currents and, and then you know the just the environment between here and there same thing with a bow it's just not you know it's, it might be 100 yards instead of a thousand yards but we still have the same thing to consider when you're going out there shooting those longer ranges you know what's the wind doing at the target now it might be calm where you're at yeah yeah speaking oh. of long range what's what's the longest you've uh killed an animal with your bow at um let's see i would say probably about 70 yards on the antelope do a lot of spot and stock antelope hunting in the sand hills that's one thing one of my favorite things to hunt and getting getting 20 30 40 yards in the sand hills on one spot stock is not easy so sometimes you know common range is going to be in that 40 to 60 yard range and not that I can't shoot further than 70 yards but it's like I try to limit you know to that I have made a couple um follow-up shots at longer distances than that but um shots I wouldn't have normally took but on a follow-up maybe more apt to take that longer range if you know it was the only one you were going to get so once you'd already hit it so yeah I I think you know I always thought you know if I if I got an arrow through it already there there's there's you know high likelihood that you know I've killed it or worse yet I've wounded it so if it goes out a little bit further and stops I'm going to take another arrow at it yeah you know what's the worst I can do is make a bad hit I've already hit it once so yeah second hit isn't gonna isn't gonna hurt anything I might might chase it off might run off or it might have just laid down there and died uh, which I had that happen one time was you know I'd, I'd shot it you know it's like I don't know 10 feet away and and it come out and took, stood broadside to me about 30 yards out and and where it was at tree was in a way so I'm using my safety belt to help hold me in the tree you know in the tree stand <laughs> so I'm leaning out and then you know I get another good shot on it and you know so now I got two good shots on it and yeah it didn't go very far it just kind of hit in bushes we did find it but it took a yeah. while yeah and I went went and hid in the bushes <laughs> <laughs> but no I like to I like to practice long range a lot I mean even if you're not going to shoot at an animal out that far it it does like you say it helps it helps to see what you're doing as far as your form and that it's gonna really show up more when you're shooting out there 70 80 90 yards at a target compared right. to 20 30 yards and then you shoot 70 80 yards at 3ds and then you move into 30 or 40 and it seems like a chip shot so right um, so i do a ton of shoot like I said earlier, I I love shooting 3Ds, and I I try to shoot a a 300 or two every year too. But uh, so, you know, the more you shoot, the better you get. More familiar with your equipment, the better you get. So, well, when you know your equipment, and it, it just makes it so much easier because you don't have to try and figure it out. And you know, what whatever whatever you're carrying, you know, whether it be longbow recurve compound crossbow um you just need to get familiar with your equipment so you know you know what's that worst thing you want to do is go out there and it's like 
Okay, how did how does this work? That's right. And know your limitations. I mean, we have that responsibility to the animals we're hunting that we aren't just out there flinging arrows and and uh, usually when I release an arrow, I have full expectation that it's going to connect, but doesn't always happen. But you know, um, usually not going to take unethical shots. And that's just all part of practicing knowing knowing your equipment and and knowing where you're at and just realizing if you're off by five yards on your estimate of your yardage, you know that can make a big difference if they're out very far. Absolutely. So when I'm spotting and stalking out in the hills, I never shoot until I have my till I I know a range. Um, just it seems like before range finders. I was a lot better at estimating yardages than I am now and uh, kind of become dependent on them range finders, but it's a great tool and it, you know, makes for a more ethical shot a lot of times. Well, yeah, when you're out hunting, it's nice to, you know, it's okay, this is, this is what the yardage is. Yeah. Okay. Verify that you're at. Now, if you're going to a 3D shoot, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast, um, you go out there you range it, you shoot, you know, you, you estimate it yourself. Yes. You don't use electronics and you make your shot. If you hit where you wanted, don't do nothing. If you missed, get the range finder. So, okay. It says us here. I thought it was here. I shot it for here and I hit here. I executed a good shot. <laughs> or it's like, no, I completely blew the shot. Right. Like, okay. I was on. I just, I just messed up the shot. Yeah. You know, which I've done many times. Uh, oh yeah, to mess mess up the shot, and that way you're not depending on the rangefinder, but you're there to help verify that what you thought it was was correct, and that that as far as I'm concerned, that's the correct way to use a rangefinder. Um, you know, when you're out there practicing, range it, shoot it, verify if you missed yep. it. If you didn't get yep. off, it's like what was that? Oh, I thought it was 35. It was actually 32. You know, yeah. and, and I didn't hit where I wanted because that's why I practice, you know, you practice the shooting the spots because now I know I can hit the spot. And that's why I like going to 3Ds because now I can, I know I can judge the yardage. Yeah. And, and what messes, you know, we get lots of get in is what messes a lot of people up is the angles. Oh, yeah. Now, talk to a carpenter. They're going to know what a three, four, five triangle is. And if you if you know, then the great, you know where I'm going. If you don't, what that is, is you got two sides of your triangle. One's three, one's four. And those are right angles. The distance between the two points is five. So I like to use that example. Once you understand that. Now I'm in it. I'm on a hill. I'm on a tree in a tree stand up. So now if you take straight down over, I'm um, 40 yards above the target. Well, if the target is straight line over is 30 yards over, what do you shoot it for? And But when you look at it straight, it says it's 50 yards. Yeah. Straight down there is 50 yards. What do you shoot it for? Be able to say 50. No. no. You just shot no. over it by 20 yards. You yeah. completely shot over its back. Yep. Now, you... you because. And, and how, how you can explain how this works is gravity only works in the horizontal position. How far to travel horizontal? 
not diagonally. The vertical part doesn't matter. And you know, once once you get there, that's why obviously when you're shooting uphill, you gotta you gotta shoot lower. You're shooting down, you gotta shoot lower. It's like, well, why? Well, that's just what you gotta do. Why? Yeah. And then once you understand that, now it makes it a whole lot easier. You know, like what I would do is I would range where I'm at straight across, you know, horizontal over to a tree that's you can see the trail is it comes to follow a tree. I'm going to judge yardage to that tree. I don't care where the trail is. I'm judging the tree. And then I had one that's like 20 yard shot. All the only tree is 20 yards away. The trail looked like it was probably 40. Yeah. Because the deer was just little. That's like, yeah. I know this is a 20 yard shot, 20 yep. yard pin, dead deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I because had... I knew that and, and I, I, took that into account that was way before rangefinders i just got my rangefinder oh yeah <laughs> well even with these angle compensated rangefinders my buddy just got back from new zealand on a tar hunt and i think he had one that he missed which was like showing a 25 or 24 yard cut so i mean he was basically shooting straight down at this cliff and he still shot over it well what do they say even on some of those once you go past 40 some degrees some of those range the angle compensation aren't even that accurate. So there's some of them guys that hunt sheep and stuff that they carry their diagram and they have a chart on there and and go off the chart rather than to use the angle yeah. compensated because it's you know like he said it was showing that well he had a he had a great squeeze on him and shot six inches over its back. Well, it just wasn't. Kind of also depends on what angle you're holding that rangefinder right. that so yeah i haven't so. tried mine i've got a, a vortex and then i got actually last year's first i used I, I think i got a year before but um I, I know if you know what your bow does at the close range and you know i think we've talked about this the last podcast we kind of get into you know the technique of shooting which is you know good for somebody that's listening that's just new you know all this stuff about how to shoot is is kind of um kind of tricky and when you think about it, shooting real close, you know, like your 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 five feet, ten feet, seven seven feet, you know, those really close ones. And people say, "Well, I'll just shoot down sight down the arrow." You ever done that? No. Well, that ain't gonna do any good. But when you think about it, think about when you're full draw, the arrows at your mouth. That's where it's at. Where's your sights? Where's your eyes? Up about three inches. So now you're starting off. You're three inches low. To start with and i know a couple of videos i did on 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 shooting technique i was doing it in my basement <laughs> from <clears throat> i was probably about seven feet <clears throat> so i've got just a regular bag but i don't want to put the pin where i want it to go because i know uh, below it is a brick bricks <laughs> You know, from the ledge that's in my basement. So I was like, okay, I'm looking here. Okay, where is my bottom pin? Because that's where I need to make sure I'm going. It's like, oh, where do I need to aim? You know, right. I know, know I got to go high because I'm at such short distance. If if I aim for that lower spot, I'm going to miss and hit my arrow in the brick. And I'm only five feet from it, five feet away from it or seven feet. <laughs> and that arrow is going to come back at me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and my wife was down there videoing as well at the time because, you know, I can't video myself showing, you know, different techniques. And so I'd make sure I'm shooting up higher. 
And where the ledge was, it was actually a little bit high. So I had to kind of almost aim up a little bit. So that means I got to lean at my waist to get it up where it's going to be. So that makes my form look a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, you know, that's the other thing too, is, you know, your form is your arm straight out. That's your form. Draw back horizontal. Now bend at the waist up or down to get to your target because that's your that's, form. That's exactly yeah. right. And a lot of people don't do that on them extreme angles and it'll throw you off. So. Yeah, I, I did that one on a raised platform at a gator that was like five feet away. And <laughs> at that time, I had a chart that you could work really good. I'm not sure the program is anymore. I'm not sure if we work on a new machines anyway. But it, it wanted to know the speed of the arrow, the weight of the arrow. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure the draw, but I want to know the distance between your, your peep and the pins and how, it was, how far it was from your eyes to the, to the arrow. And it figured all that out and figured out your chart. And I was able to slide in my 20 yard pin, stick the charter into it and line up all the rest of them, clear out to 60 yards, go out 60 yards shooting is right on. And I looked at it, I was like, okay, where do, and I had that on, on my bow. It's like, where do I have to shoot at five feet? I got to shoot for 70 yards. Yeah. And, and yeah. sure enough, I'm going there when the 70 yard got on there, it's like, boom, nailed it right in the middle. And it's amazing yeah. how many people couldn't even hit it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that was the same thing in boat fishing, too, because you're shooting at such close range. You know, it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of your shots there, five to 10 yards. And I broke, I use my old uh, Bear Bruin that I shot Bear Bow for years. So it's like I just was kind of a gap shooter, basically. So I kind of looked right down the arrow. And, and so, lucky i can still i can still pick that thing up and shoot it pretty well so well and i i don't really gap shoot with with my bow fishing setup it's it's a recurve and yep. because i don't have time with a compound i it's a different weapon for me i pick up a compound yep. it's a completely different weapon my mindset's different everything is different the way i do everything is completely different than a recurve and yep. so i use that for bow fishing because i can look at the target draw back, get my anchor point, release That's through. That's where it's going. And yeah. I don't have time. If I had a compound, my mindset changes. You know, it's it just yeah. like for those that do guns, you don't shoot a handgun like you do a revolver, but like a shotgun, like a rifle. Uh, they're all different weapons. You know, right. my recurve is not the same weapon as my my compound. So my mindset changes. No matter which weapon I have, it changes, you know, depending on what I'm doing. And you know that I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's just <laughs> yeah my, my old way my old mind worked because I started out with the recurve and then you know got another one differently and you start using pins and so I just I've I've tried using a, a compound instinctively and it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, well that's what I started out with was just shooting instinctively with uh, and that old bear Bruin. Of course, that was a long axle to axle, so it was a right. pretty forgiving bow and and uh still have that thing and still use it a ton so but i went through i had a i bought a colorado bighorn and shot recurve for a few years never did never did shoot an animal with it though i was always going to and then i'd always chicken out and uh but i sure enjoyed shooting it when i did so well and they they take a lot more practice you know, you recurve longbows take a lot more sure. practice. Do compounds, 
and uh, compounds take more practice than crossbows. Yep. You know, so it just and, and crossbows take more practice than a rifle. So it yep. depends on what the weapon is. And you know, I've got one rifle. We've been using the same ammo for years, and it's as long as you use that ammo, it's I, I go out and take take a shot dead on next year. Take a shot dead on, and and it's like okay, it hasn't changed in in decades. So I don't even need to take a shot with that one. Now, if I ever yeah. change bullets, manufacturers yeah. or anything, now I got to go through the whole mess again. But yeah, I'm the same way. I used to do a ton of coyote calling, and so I still get the rifle out for that. But like you say, that thing I can pick up and have the same loads I've always had. Can drive tax with it. So yeah, that, that's that's kind of a fun thing when you when you reload yourself. That's I've been reloading since '76, so. I've been doing it for quite a while and yeah it's nice working up a load with with a rifle we can put three shots in the same hole yeah for yeah. sure i did kind of some similar thing you know with my uh when i had aluminums i took and i i, I fletched the arrows put the knock in because there there's a unibushing so you put the unibushing in put the knock in right and then i weighed the arrow and i wrote on it how much it weighed and then i weighed my tips you know, hundred grain tips, and then I weighed them and mashed them up so they'd be close skin to all one. And I'm down to, I'm taking a file and filing a little back off the insert, get the weight. So I had a full dozen aluminum arrows within half a grain. The the, the min and the max was less than a half a grain apart from each other. Jeez, that's that's I did it once. There. Never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, the, the the thing was, you know, the, the weight in the back and front may not be exactly the same because one might be a 102 grain tip. One might be a 98 grain tip. Right. Uh, when you buy a bag of 100, they're going to vary. They're, roughly, they're 100 grains plus or minus a percentage. Right. So I would weigh, you know, weigh the shaft because those are going to be a little different because you got feathers and you got glue and each of the shafts a little different. My thought was at that time was. If the arrows all weigh the exact same weight, they're going to go the exact same speed. They're going to have the same drop. Yep. At bow hunting range, it doesn't make a bit of difference. No. Now, if I was going to be shooting 150 yard shots, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I think 60 is the longest I've really shot in any. You know, they had an outdoor field round with shooting, um, what was it, the 20, 30, and 40 yard shots i shot one time uh but i just don't shoot those longer ranges and now as i get older like i've said on many podcasts i i don't see well enough to take those long shots anymore <laughs> so my 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 range is 20 to 20 to 30 is where i try to make sure all of my shots going to be within that yep well we we've been yeah, we're going about an hour and a half here, it looks like. So these these kind of get going, you know. I, I like to keep them in an hour, but you know, it never it never works out, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well talking and I got and, the gift to gab myself. So when I get going, it goes yeah. by quick. Yeah, so, so that's always uh, a fun time to get talking and getting to know each other. And you know, that yeah, that's kind of one of the biggest things I like doing is you know connecting archer world together and you know talking about the sport and what can we do to help each other out and and you know when if you have a business then you know you can use part of the podcast you know to promote your business 
And, you know, that's all it is, just promote the sport of archery, however we can do it. And, you know, like like your your event that you, you have there, you know, we'll, we'll start, let's say we can get some people in there and we'll get some posts going and, uh, you know, try and promote, you know, whatever whatever we can in archery. Heck yes, that's what it's all about. So, so what do you have any uh, closing thoughts that you'd like to tell the listeners and watchers? Um, you know, I like I said, I started, I got exposed to archery when I was just a little toddler, and then you know, slowly grew into it into my teens, and now my life. I mean, revolves around it. I mean, like I said, I have something planned almost every month, but I think the biggest message out there is to enjoy your time in the field, be respectful to the game that we are pursuing and utilize it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest message we can send. I got non-hunters for friends and you wouldn't believe how many of them love to come eat venison when I cook it you know, and, and they actually ask about my honey. I mean, they, I mean, it's like they've, it's, it's opened their eyes and changed their thoughts on hunt on bowhunt. So um, yeah. anytime that we can share our stories in a favorable manner to, to those type of people, it also helps grow our sport because it's like, you know, when we look at opportunities and that and you look at some of these States like Colorado that have had you know, different seasons go to voters and they've lost seasons. It's like the more we can educate people to what we're doing, it's conservation, it's utilizing a resource and and do it in a positive manner. That's huge for our sport as well. Yeah, that good, good closing thoughts. <laughs> but no, I appreciate the opportunity, Roy. I truly do. And like I said, down the road, I get get that brown bear from Alaska I'd be I'd love to come back on and tell that story yeah just just schedule when you do that just pull up the link and schedule my calendar and let's go <laughs> you bet well I've enjoyed the chat and, and, and like I said I'm thankful for the opportunity so um, those out there that get a chance to look at the Nebraska Bowhunters Association we have a lot to offer there and and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it yeah, Nebraska has a lot to offer. For sure. Kind of that hidden secret. Maybe we don't want to tell them about it. Well, I know. That's, <laughs> that's keep it to right. ourselves. <laughs> we are lucky to live where we live. That's for sure. You're right. Well, thanks for being on the show. It, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. And I, I know our listeners, uh, they'll enjoy it too. Because if they're like me, they like to hear all these stories. And it's a lot of fun. You bet. Well, hopefully down the road to have another opportunity, but thank you a bunch. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my name is Roy Canterbury. I've been your host today on Arch Talk 101, and we'll see you on the next one.